On behalf of RBCS, welcome to this webinar on test-driven development exposed. I'm Rex Black, president of RBCS. We are a worldwide uh, testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enter enterprises. Since 1994, we've delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. Our team of international consultants deliver customized training, consulting, and outsourcing services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. I'm the author of 12 books on software testing, including the bestseller Managing the Testing Process and four books on the ISTQB program. Please note that today's webinar is a technically focused webinar, and therefore there are no PMI PDUs associated with this webinar. Before we start the presentation, a couple notes. If you have any questions during the course of the webinar, feel free to submit them throughout the presentation via your webinar interface, but please note they are answered only at the end. You do not need to ask for presentation copies. The presentation is on the web. Go to rbcs-us.com, navigate to the Resources tab in the upper middle. From there, navigate to the Basic Library, and you will find PDF version of these slides posted there. By attending this webinar, you have been automatically registered for the free e-learning drawing. Check your email over the next couple days and watch that spam filter. Hope you enjoy this free webinar from RBCS. We do these free webinars <coughs> excuse me, as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS we are a not-just-for-profit company. Okay, so <coughs> TDD, test-driven development. What the heck is that? Um, so, um, software engineering is uh, certainly a you know young and rapidly evolving field, uh, and um, you know we are <clears throat> susceptible, like uh, like any field is, but especially I think as a younger, more rapidly evolving one, to the sort of uh, fads and and uh, buzzwords and. You know, you may be familiar with Gartner's famous hype cycle, and you know, so things come and ideas come and go. And certainly, one of the things that's that's been somewhat controversial, spurred a lot of discussion, Twitter storms, and so forth, um, and being accused by some as being just a, a one of these passing fads is, is test-driven development or TDD. Um, now, part of the confusion about this is that there's sort of this alphabet soup of ATDD, BDD, TDD, what are those things? Are they the same thing? Um, so one of the things I want to do today is try to clear up any uh, confusion that might exist about what those three things are, how they're different. Um, also, test-driven development, it could sound like, oh, I'm a tester and I want to be driving the developers and I want to tell the developers what to do. Well, that's not at all what it means, as you might imagine. Uh, developers are excited about TDD, at least some of them are. No developer would ever be excited about uh, testers telling them what to do. Uh, so it's not that. Um, and there's really a, another issue that we need to look at here, which is whether testing, test-driven development is even actually testing, or if that word at the beginning is sort of a misnomer. Um, now, TDD came out of the uh, Agile world, uh, specifically extreme programming, but uh, it can be used in really any um, 
any development approach is not it's not specific to agile i mean you could be doing kanban you know uh, devops whatever um, and and use tdd or at least the developers could so um, it's really it's a development technique uh, more than a testing technique as as we'll see uh, as we go along here so <clears throat> the way it works um, it's sometimes called test first development or test first programming um, though the the true proponents of it I'm sure would, would uh, want it to be called TDD your test driven development <clears throat> so the way it the way the process works is I'm sitting down to write a new a new module um, some new object say for my program now classic programming says <clears throat> that I'm going to um, write the code and then write a unit test for it um, but TDD stands that on its head and says no write write a unit test first and don't even write don't write a unit test for the entire module that you're going to build but write it for a small piece of the module and then run the test now this seems bizarre um, because you know the, the code you haven't written the code yet so of course the test is going to fail um, but one of the things that this tells you that by running the test it, it does fail that it actually is checking something that doesn't exist if it were to pass clearly there'd be something wrong with your test so it's sort of a way of confirming that your test uh, knows what it's doing. Um, then you start writing code and you write code, run the test, write code, run the test, write code, run the test until the test passes. And then you would um, go in and look at the code and say, hmm, okay, I, I don't like this part of it. It doesn't, you know, that that doesn't look right to me. I would, you know, I want to clean it up a little bit. The uh, Agilists refer to this as refactoring. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, you'd, so you do that and you run the test as you're ch making changes and then once you're happy with the code and the tests all pass, you then add another test for another little piece of what you're about to create and uh, run all of the tests, both the existing ones, which should still pass, and the uh, new test that you just created and then that should uh, uh, fail and then you know you start the process over again. Um, to the extent that you are uh, seeing tests fail, um, you know you're you're fixing the code um, right away. There's no intermediary step of logging a bug. As as resistant as developers are to logging bugs against code, uh, 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 logging bugs against failed tests that occur during unit testing. Um, they're even going to be more resistant to any suggestion that they do so here. And in fact, in this case, uh, I would tend to agree because the, they're not really bugs. If tests are failing, it's not really a bug. I mean, because the code isn't done yet. So you're, you're still building the code. So there's no reason really to call that a bug. Now, um, <clears throat> effectively, what you're doing, if you're, if you're following the approach that I just described, is specifying the expected behavior of your code using tests, using a test harness like JUnit or CPP unit or or NUnit. Um, there's a whole these different what are called the XUnit frameworks out there. These open source uh, tools that allow you to build these uh, 
um, automated unit tests. Um, so effectively what's happening is, I mean, you could call them tests, but they're really more like an executable design specification. And then what should happen and, and typically will happen if you're in an agile world is that those tests, once build, uh, built, um, when the code is checked in, the tests are also checked in and um, they're part of your continuous integration framework and um, used to um, reduce regression risk. Now, um, more on that later, um, the extent to which that regression risk is actually uh, reduced by such tests. Okay, so something that sounds a lot the same but is actually completely different is acceptance test-driven development. So, okay, it says test-driven development. What's acceptance test-driven? What does that mean? Well, in a agile development world, you are supposed to have user stories, which are, you know, little teeny chunks of functionality, smaller even than a use case, that are going to be added uh, as the codes being as the system is being built. And it's being built by these small little building blocks of user stories. And the user stories have what are called acceptance criteria, which are supposed to be defined collaboratively between the developer, the tester, and the business stakeholder. Uh, so you've got your acceptance criteria, and then and, and so the acceptance criteria say, all right, this is this is what's supposed to happen if the thing works. But there can be ambiguity about what those acceptance criteria really mean. So acceptance test-driven development is about creating an actual concrete set of tests, specific input values with, with specific accept, expected results that can then be shown to the business stakeholder and the, the developer by the tester, who is the one creating these tests, say, okay, do we agree that this is how it's supposed to behave? Um, now, this, this technique is also sometimes called uh, specification by example, um, which is perhaps a little more illustrative of, what it's, of what's happening here because you are, um, you are basically saying, okay, you know, this specific set of circumstances, this is what's supposed to happen. Um, and so um, that, that's a... Uh, concept, by the way, that goes back some distance. I mean, this is, you know, the, the early 90s, late 80s, there was a sort of idea that test design should lead software development, that test design should be first, because by designing the tests, you basically are making specific um, what the system is supposed to do and removing any ambiguity that might result in the developer creating something different than what the, uh, uh, what the user, customer, uh, requirements author had in mind. Now, these tests, once created, can often be uh, automated using tools like fitness. Um, and um, so in parallel with, with the programmer creating the code to implement the capability described in the user story and the acceptance criteria, the tester is now automating the, the tests that are described in, these, in, in this ATDD test and those automated tests can, in some cases, be run the first time the code is, is delivered for a uh, system test. So this is, is kind of, uh, um, you know, a, a testing nirvana that you're able to actually use your automated tests for the first 
go round of functional testing, um, and then those tests can be put into the continuous integration framework as well. And uh, now that becomes uh, an ongoing uh, part of the uh, regression risk mitigation regression risk mitigation strategy. Um, these tests can run at a data layer, at a service layer, the user interface layer. So there's really no uh, no dependency on on uh, graphical user interface here. Um, you can you can be testing it at whatever layer uh, happens to be uh, accessible. So you know this um, this is uh, complementary to what TDD is doing because notice that this is um, specifying uh, behavior, um, you know, externally observable behavior, right? Versus you've got the um, TDD tests, which are really structural tests. They're, they're white box, you know, as opposed to the ATDD tests, which are now black box. They're based on on how the system's supposed to behave. We don't care how it's implemented. Um, the the unit tests are going to be uh, very uh, specific to how the code uh, how the code works. Okay, so now we've got the other the BDDs, <laughs> TDD, ATDD, SBE, if you prefer specification by example, and now BDD, your behavior driven development. Now, now this is another black box approach, though in this case the developer is in going to be involved in creating the test to some extent. Now there may be that the tester might be involved as well, uh, and if the tester is sufficiently technical, then uh, the tester might actually do all of the test development. But uh, um, again, you know, this is something focused on behavior, um, and it be complementary to TDD. So this is something that could be created perhaps after the uh, TDD tests and. Uh, the code itself are created. Uh, similar to ATDD, these BDD tests are supposed to be readable by uh, testers and business stakeholders. They should not require an ability to read the, the code. Um, now, TDD is different um, because you, you, would, you would need to understand the tool and you need to understand the um, programming language being used. And even then, uh, reading it might not tell you a whole lot about what the system is supposed to do. It tells you about what that individual little module is supposed to do, but it's not going to tell you about what what business problem the system is is supposed to solve. Uh, unlike ATDD and BDD tests, which which are going to be um, about uh, specifically what the what the system is supposed to do for for the customer user, uh, etc. Now, um, what is going to happen here is you're going the whoever's developing these BDD tests is going to take um, the acceptance criteria in the user story and express uh, behavior under certain circumstances. So, given some context, when some event occurs, then the system should do something. So, given that, as an example. Given, let's say we're testing an e-commerce application, we could have a BDD test like this. Given that the customer has one or more items in their cart, when the customer clicks checkout, then the first of the purchase screens is displayed. So notice that that's about something that that's uh, we've got like a, a precondition, 
we have this thing that happens that is basically this event that triggers the system to do something and then we have okay this is what's supposed to occur so again this is an observable behavior um, and you know the developers the um, uh, testers and the uh, business stakeholders can use this as a way of uh, uh, communicating about uh, what the system is supposed to do now these three things are potentially all usable at the same time. So you could have a, a situation where TDD, BDD, and ATDD are, are in practice. Um, my experience as a consultant has been that, uh, that uh, usually our clients are either doing ATDD or BDD, but not both. And in some cases, I've had Clients tell me that they tried to do BDD, they found it too difficult to maintain the tests, and they switched over to doing ATDD. Now, that's by no means a, a huge survey. I'm talking about a, a few, you know, four or five anecdotes like that, um, and whether that they had problems with BDD because BDD is inherently difficult to maintain under some circumstances, or if they just had problems because they were doing it wrong. I don't know, um, but you know, take that as a as a uh, an input if you're considering these. But um, notice that that um, whether you're doing BDD or or ATDD, that would not have any influence on whether the developers um, would uh, potentially be applying TDD, um, since that's that's about you know the development of the code and, and a test at a unit level. Whereas BDD and uh, ATDD are more system level tests, or to use the uh, agile testing quadrants theory, you say TDD is quadrant one testing and uh, BDD and ATDD are quadrant two testing. Okay, so uh, just to go a little further into the process that I kind of I, I described briefly before, um, if you're if you're just getting started um, doing some pro doing programming with TDD, the first thing you would need to do is set up your unit test framework. So you get your um, J unit or whatever whatever tool it is that you want to use, and um, and uh, then your um, sorry, I just had something bizarre go on here. You get the tool that you're uh, wanting to use, and you get that set up, and um, that's uh, going to be the, the first step. Um, you're then going to, um, when you're sitting down to, to create your module, you're going to uh, define the steps that you need to carry out, and um, um, that is is going to then lead to um, the kind of tests that you're going to need. And we're going to look at that uh, a little more um, in a subsequent uh, um, example of uh, what that might look like. Um, and then, um, you know, as I said, you uh, you create the uh, create the tests um, one test at a time. To create the test, run the test. It should fail. Write the code that will make that test pass, and just the code needed to make that pass. No, <clears throat> excuse me, no additional code. Um, and then, you know, tweak it. Make sure that you're happy with the code the way it looks. 
continue to run the tests, and then go on to the next unit test. And ultimately, when you're done, all of this, the code and the automated tests get checked into the uh, continuous integration framework. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Sorry, I was just checking something on the console here. I did another bizarre-looking message from uh, GoToWebinar that seemed to indicate that you guys weren't seeing what I thought you were seeing, but now it's saying that you are seeing what I think you're seeing. So maybe somebody needed to do a little more TDD on that. Uh, okay, so um, as a consultant, you know, I get to travel around and, and talk to people, both in a training setting and, and doing consulting in, in their organizations. And so, you know, I hear people say, oh, yeah, TDD. Um, our organization uses TDD. Our developers use TDD. Then sometimes I drill down into that, and it turns out that um, they're, you know, that somebody has heard the phrase TDD, test-driven development, and you know, they think that's what's happening, or it would be cool if that was what was happening. But basically, all that's really happening is some amount of automated unit tests are being created. Um, uh, sometimes that means that the unit tests are being created, but after the code is written. Um, and sometimes it means, oh, well, you know, we have this continuous integration framework, and there are some automated unit tests in there, um, and they get run, so that must be TDD. Um, well, no, of course it's it's not really because uh, it's the TDD process requires that the the tests be created first. Um, now, one of the things that that I always listen for are uh, fairy tales about unit testing of one kind or another. So um, one that I hear is, oh yeah, we create unit tests unless the code is too tightly coupled, and then it's it's too difficult. That that to me is often the beginnings of an excuse because that's sort of a get out of jail free card for the developers. They don't actually have to create the unit tests. Uh, oh yeah, my code's too tightly coupled. Uh, I wrote it tightly coupled, and now I can't unit test it. Maybe you shouldn't have written it that way. Um, <clears throat> Another one that I hear an excuse is, well, you know, we'd really like to use TDD, but we don't. We, there can't be any frameworks for our language, which is is an excuse as well. I mean, I was recently doing some consulting for a client, and they kind of trotted out this. Well, you know, we don't. We, you know, we really can't do unit testing because we're, uh, you know, this is SAP, and I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that it's probably something out there. And yes, there is a one of these X unit frameworks for the SAP. Uh, programming language. Um, so, you know, in, unless you're doing something really bizarre like using APL or something like that, I'm pretty sure that you're going to have a, a framework available uh, for you. And, um, you know, plus you don't really need the framework to do it. I mean, you know, you can just write tests um, in the same language. And then, of course, there's the, you know, when when managers say things like, oh, yeah, TDD it can, sometimes can just mean, um, I have no idea what TDD is, but, you know, I've heard developers talking about it and saying it's something really cool, so, you know, we must be doing it. Now, to me, as a, as a consultant, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the excuses because I'm always worried that um, 
were not um, uh, fully taking advantage of opportunities to find and remove bugs early. And organizations that aren't doing that, I kind of say, hey, you, know, you really shouldn't be throwing all these bugs over the fence to the developers or to the testers. Um, as long as the first three things are in place, continuous integration framework, um, unit tests, uh, automated unit tests and they're, they're, that are placed in that continuous integration framework, um, I think that you're going to get some, some solid benefits out of that, though there can be limits to that, as I'll, as I'll discuss a little later. But, you know, I'm not a purist. I'm not one of these people who's going to say, oh, well, you know, unless you're actually following, you know, the exact way of doing TDD as, you know, as described by uh, people like uh, Kent Beck um, and, and some of the other uh, high priests of, of TDD, then, you know, you need to be excommunicated from the, the, the school of, of the cool kids. You know, I just I just really don't care. To me, you know, what I care is is what whether what they're doing is working for my client. If it's working for them, then they're doing it right. If it's not working for them, regardless of whether they're following the steps written down in a book by somebody who never visited their company, um, that's not uh, you know that's not uh, really the the point, right? I mean, if 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 it's working, it's working. If it's not working, it's not working. If it's uh, consistent with some sort of, uh, you know, um, doctrine that somebody's putting forward, well, you know, that's really not that's not what I'm interested in. I'm I'm interested in engineering, not dogma. Now, so with with all of that said, um, you know, one of the things I want to come back to here is is TDD really testing? Well. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Um, so, you know, some questions here. Um, in testing, we, we generally have this concept of the test basis or plural test bases. Um, you know, these are the things that our tests are based on. Well, what are the test basis documents here? Um, well, there's a user story and there's acceptance criteria, but those are describing behaviors. Um, they're, you know, pretty far above the uh, the observable uh, workings, if you will, operations of an individual unit. So the test basis here really is the um, programmer's brain. Um, and so they're writing that down. Instead of writing a design document, they're writing tests. But ultimately, that's what those tests are expressing: is their uh, their design decisions. Um, now, we also typically in testing have this concept of a test oracle or test oracles, which is the things that are going to tell us what the expected results are. And here again, we don't have that other than it's the the judgment of the individual developer who's creating these TDD tests. They're defining the tests, they're defining the expected results. These are basically just design decisions that are, again, as I said, being captured in some uh, J unit or, you know, N unit or CPP unit or other unit testing framework. Um, so, you know, are those really like classical tests? Um, do the, te the developers actually know any sort of test design techniques? Often not. 
So these tests that are being created, again, are they, um, do they cover the equivalence partitions? Are they focused on boundary values? Do they look at ways con conditions combine to produce particular outcomes? Or do they look at domains or states? Probably not. Um, uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of an issue that they're um, basically not informed by any sort of test design technique. Uh, other than just you know what occurs to the the developer, um, in typically when we're creating tests, we want to create both positive and negative tests, testing that the system works under normal conditions, but also that when we throw certain curves at it, it can it can handle those and and respond properly. And and uh, you know is that going to be done here? Uh, maybe maybe not. Kind of depends on the, how clued in the uh, uh, the tester is, or the developer is, excuse me. Um, code coverage. Um, unless the developer is actually using a code coverage tool, um, will they get to any particular level of code coverage? Uh, questionable. Um, now certainly one of the things that has been good is I have seen a lot of these continuous integration frameworks that do deliver uh, code coverage metrics, um, but you know, is the is the developer being careful to make sure that the appropriate level of coverage is being achieved? Not not always, and sometimes they don't even know how to interpret those. I've had a number of developers be unable to articulate to me the difference between statement coverage and decision coverage, which is a pretty fundamental difference, um, and the an example which can be used to illustrate the difference is trivial. It's basically just an, an if statement without a corresponding then block. Um, so, you know, so we're not necessarily going to get to high, high levels of code coverage. Um, TDD by itself does not require static analysis or uh, code review. Um, now, you know, we would hope that those would be there, and certainly we see with the number of our clients that they do uh, use static analysis tools and that there are, uh, some code reviews, but you know, often these are these static analysis uh, opportunities and code review opportunities are really underutilized. Um, so, you know, to me, w given that you you know don't have really solid answers to these questions, again, what you have here are just executable design specifications and not really tests. Um, if you were to uh, enhance um, the answers to these questions, if it, if it were, <laughs> have better test bases, test oracles, use good techniques, make sure that you're trying both happy path and unhappy path, measure coverage, um, combine TDD with good static analysis techniques and, and good code reviews. And by good code reviews, I'm not just talking about your boss looked at the code, you know, briefly before it was checked in. Um, you know, these are all things that, uh, uh, would raise the game, but I think that a lot of the developers um, that I've spoken with wouldn't actually be able to do this by themselves. Now, more on that a little later. Um, <clears throat> now, since the developers wouldn't really be able to do these things by themselves, how, how would you make TDD tests into real honest-to-God tests? So I would say that you have testers involved in the process. Uh, and so 
what that would mean is that they would uh, you know participate in the uh, review and and suggest improvements to the um, TDD tests um, after the the coding was done or while the coding was going on. Now, in order to do this, of course, tester would have to be able to read the code that the system is being programmed in. Um, so there's there's an element of code literacy. Now, sometimes testers really get uh, worried when I say that, like, oh my God, I'm going to be a programmer. Well, notice I'm, I'm talking about being able to read it and understand what it says, not not necessarily being a a you know great programmer yourself. Um, just like you know, I don't have to be Hemingway in order to read Hemingway, um, but I do have to be able to read English. So being able to read the code, understanding how the unit test tools work, understanding the uh, code coverage, and and not just at the like ISTQB foundation level, but more of the technical test analyst kind of understanding of the code coverage metrics. Uh, being able to look at static analysis results and go, oh, okay, we have some maintainability issues here, you know, knowing what cyclomatic complexity is and when complexity is too high. Um, knowing how to bridge the gap in terms of the test basis and test oracles for the TDD tests. Um, and uh, being able to effectively participate in a, in a code review and provide feedback on the on the code. These would all be things that uh, testers would need to do to be able to uh, uh, contribute to uh, TDD to a greater or lesser extent. Now you don't have to be, be you know, expert at these things right from the start, but you need to be competent. Uh, a lot of organizations, software organizations that I've, I've been in are, really have a very uh, meritocratic kind of approach. You know your your status in the organization is earned by demonstrated uh, competence and capability, especially in technical things. So you don't want to be in a situation where you're seen as not particularly competent. You're showing up at code reviews and making comments that aren't really you know very that don't indicate a real good understanding of what the code means. But you know basic competence is okay to start with. Now another advantage of being in the loop here with these TDD tests um, is that when you go to create your test, say using BDD or ATDD or whatever other tools you're going to use, um, you want to try to complement the, the uh, coverage that TDD tests are, are uh, providing and, and certainly not duplicating it. Now, let me um, give an example of TDD uh, in action here. Um, I originally was going to do illustrate this in this presentation using actual code, and then I realized, well, that's that's not going to really translate well to a lot of uh, a lot of you guys out there in the audience who wouldn't necessarily be able to read the code. So I did it in English, um, but you'll get the the basic idea of how this would work. So let's suppose we're building an e-commerce application and. Um, uh, certainly in an e-commerce application, one of the things we're going to need to be able to do is process payments using credit cards and debit cards. So let's suppose that we've got an uh, online payment processing service that we're going to use, and uh, we have a programmer now who's going to use TDD, and they're going to create a module to access the service and to uh, process payment. So what do the steps look like here? Well. We're going to follow that process that I described before. Write the test, write the code, then refactor. Right? Write test, write code, run test, refactor. You know that that tight loop that I showed. 
So let's say that the first thing that we do is we're going to verify valid input parameters. So the you know the module is going to have to take things like credit card uh, number and and name and uh, card verification code and expiration date and amount of the transaction. Um, so we'd want to have some checking that the input parameters were correct first before we pass them off um, to the uh, uh, web service. Um, and so th there might be one step here. Uh, more likely, it's probably multiple steps here. So there's maybe three or four um, steps involved in, in doing this. Uh, so you write a test. You write some code. Again, run the, run the, the tests. Um, okay, it works or it doesn't work, fix that, right, move on to the next step. So we um, get that working and then we, we move on to the establishment of a connection with the web service. So again, we would write a test to check to see whether the connection had been established, run that together with all the previous tests. All the previous tests should pass and this new test should fail. Um, now we write the code to establish the connection. Um, and then, uh, you know, clean it up, uh, refactor it as, as we see fit, and then move on to the uh, transmission of the parameters, and test for that, write the code for that, and then uh, uh, test for handling successful transactions. Um, you know, this, that's probably a, a fairly straightforward there when it works. Uh, and then we add the handling unsuccessful transactions, and again, here there's probably multiple steps since there's probably multiple return codes that could come back that indicate some sort of problem that occurred. Um, so the, as I said, the tests are, go, are going to provide executable specifications for the code. Um, so it would be possible to take the tests and, you know, ditch the code, throw away the code, and then rewrite the code based on the tests themselves because the tests basically are going to say, this is what's supposed to happen. Would you write the exact same code under those circumstances? Probably not, but it would be very similar in terms of the way it's built because the tests are um, tightly linked to the way that the uh, software is implemented. Now, will these be real honest-to-God tests? Again, depends on whether they um, have some traceability back to identifiable test basis documents, tests, oracles, um, the ability to uh, measure coverage, um, you know, the designed using real test design techniques and so forth, but they could be. Okay, so I mentioned that there was controversy. So, so far I've been just kind of talking uh, around the, the edges of it really and, and describing the process and, you know, dipping a toe into the uh, um, controversies and then quickly backing out. You know, I mentioned this thing of, I'm, you know, interested in results, not dogma. Um, <clears throat> now, let's get, let's uh, confront the controversies here. Um, so you've got, you've got people like Beck and Fowler and Martin and so forth who are big boosters of test-driven development, big proselytizers for it. And they've made some, uh, they and their, and their uh, fellow travelers have made some really big claims for what TDD can do. So um, in one of Beck's books, I'm forgetting which one, I think it's Extreme Programming Explained, um, he makes the comment that, that 
these TDD tests allow you to refactor code with zero regression risk. Uh, basically, refactor meaning change. Right? I can go in and change the code, and I don't have to worry about breaking anything because I've got these TDD tests. Now, this is an absolutely stunning claim uh, because basically what he's saying is that um, somehow or another TDD uh, tests are are immune to a law of testing that has been known since the 1960s, which is that tests can show the presence of bugs but can never prove their absence. Um, and this is this is a long established rule of testing, probably one of the first uh, rules of testing. Um, and it's it's related to the fact that there's just an enormous number of tests that you could potentially run. And so this idea that somehow or another TDD as a technique, regardless of who's using it, is going to deliver these tests that are 100% defect detection effective against uh, a certain class of defects, specifically regression defects, is just, uh, as I said, it's just, it's, it's, uh, breathtaking <laughs> in its uh, um, uh, boldness um, and almost certainly incorrect. I mean, if you look at some of, the, of Capers Jones's figures on the effectiveness of unit tests, typical unit tests are 25% effective against defects. The really, really good ones are maybe 50%. So that's nowhere near 100%. And by the way, Put that up against a typical independent test team, which is generally going to get about 85% defect detection effectiveness. So, you know, I'm sorry, that just doesn't uh, that that doesn't hold water, um, and it's um, it is indicative of a lack of awareness of the limitations of testing that is uh, really kind of uh, um, calls calls into question a lot of other things that that. Uh, um, that you know, those who are boosters of this technique would say, right? That they would, if they would say something like, like that, then you know, hmm, that that really does kind of is a credibility issue for me with some of the other statements. Um, the other thing that you hear people say is that TDD will clarify your thinking before coding. Um, hmm. I'm not sure why expressing your thoughts as tests, as, as automated tests, is necessarily going to clarify your thinking any more than expressing your thoughts with code would. I mean, because automated tests are they're effectively, you know, they're 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 code of a sort, right? They're 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 a they're a program that runs to to test another program, in this case, or a piece of a program. So um, you know, I, I don't see that the the clarification necessarily happens unless people are following, um, you know, proven black box and white box test design techniques, especially black box test design techniques. I think if people are applying the proven test design techniques, then yes, there should be some clarification of the thinking before coding. But if it's just, you know, I've got something in my head. I've now written down a set of steps, and then I'm going to, uh, you know, create tests for that. Well, I've already basically, in writing down the steps, I've already proceduralized my understanding of what the software is supposed to do. Um, and so, effectively, if I put myself 
into a box of a sort, uh, locked myself into a certain approach to solving the problem, um, and now I'm writing tests. Um, hmm, you know, I think you're, you know, again, I, I'm just kind of cu curious as to how much clarification is really going to come out of that. Um, so I am um, in in putting this uh, presentation together. I did ask Beck um, if he would be kind enough to review and comment on these slides and some of my comments. Um, and uh, in spite of the fact that I have engaged in various Twitter exchanges with him before, and this is how I asked him is on Twitter because that's the only way I know to get all of him. Um, so in spite of the fact that I have had some exchanges with him on Twitter before, and, and generally friendly and respectful uh, on both sides, I didn't hear anything back. So now, you know, I'm happy if he gets wind of this presentation and he decides to listen to this webinar and wants to respond to some of these things, I'm happy to take those um, responses from him. Um, I've been not, certainly not looking to slam him or Fowler or Martin or anybody else, but... Uh, you know, again, I just I think that there's some some pretty big claims have been made. Um, now, uh, Jim Copeline, who is a noted test-driven development critic, um, and actually posted a couple articles on my website to that effect. Of uh, one of them provocatively called "Why Why Most Unit Tests Are Waste." Um, I asked him to summarize his concerns, and so he sent me a, a lengthy email describing his concerns which uh, I will try to summarize here and if you if if you are inspired by what I'm about to tell you to try to get some more info from Jim about his concerns with TDD I would encourage you to get in touch with him he's uh, he's uh, usually pretty responsive and is happy to if you you know ask him some questions happy to give you an extensive uh, explanation of his uh, of his thoughts so but to the extent that I can, I can make his case against TDD for him. Um, one of the first things that he says, which I definitely agree with, is that, that TDD is not a testing technique; uh, it's a design technique. Um, you know, and what's being produced are not necessarily tests, but um, automated automated uh, uh, design specs. Um, <clears throat> now. It's not a testing technique, but it does have all the weaknesses associated with unit testing. And if you read his articles, you'll see he's uh, he goes into this in, in, in great detail. Uh, certainly one of the problems is the author bias. Okay, so this is where this comes back to this clarification of thinking um, issue and whether that actually occurs. Um, you know, it, it's not... There's nothing inherent in TDD that's going to force somebody to confront um, their their mistaken views about uh, how this how this module should be designed. Uh, I mean, it will help find implementation problems, but but from a design point of view, you know, you're you're coding the design into the tests. The tests themselves can't tell you whether that design is correct. So this is the classic author bias issue. There's whole class, there's whole groups of problems that simply can't be found when the tests are built using the same assumptions as the code has been built on. Um, now another weakness of unit testing is that it is focused on individual objects, um, and it can't tell you much about how those objects interface with each other. 
uh, can't tell you anything about emergent system behavior. So things like uh, integration bugs, uh, you won't find those. Uh, performance problems, security problems, reliability problems, likely to be pretty weak on those. So again, you know, you're, according to Capers-Jones, you should expect about a 25% defect detection effectiveness from unit tests and, and there's no real hope in trying to push it beyond 50% because it just won't, uh, you know, there are certain kinds of problems that simply cannot be detected by uh, unit tests regardless of whether you could get the author bias issue off the table. Now, this is something that you really would want to go to Copeland to get more info on because he's you know, a professional programmer and uh, noted authority on object-oriented programming and object-oriented design. And uh, you know, I I know I know how to write C++ code, but I wouldn't consider myself by any means an expert on object-oriented test or object-oriented uh, software design. But you'll notice that the way that we we approached the e-commerce situation was we start off with an outline of what the system is supposed to or what the module is supposed to do is it this and then this and then this and then this well an object oriented design um, it's supposed to be top down and objects you know built based on usage and what what Copeland is saying is well because of the way that you're writing down a set of steps you're basically you're going to a procedural approach which is which is bottom up, um, you know. That's the classic, you know, the way you would write C or or Fortran or something like that. Is you you do a hierarchical decomposition of the problem down into little pieces, and then you you write procedures that solve individual pieces of the problem, and that's what TDD is is doing. Um, he has some concerns about the volume of test code that's created and the amount of maintenance that would be required to uh, um, keep those tests up and running. Uh, so, you know, uh, expensive. Uh, it's an expensive approach, he, he says. Um, he says that the, the fact that you have this big growing inventory of tests um, is more most likely going to give a false sense of confidence. And, and again, that gets back to... Um, the assertions of, of uh, you know, all of the bugs will be found, right? And the regression, no regression bugs can get past us. Um, and notice also that this is a this is a verification step at best. There, there's certainly no validation happening here. It doesn't demonstrate that the product is being built in such a way that it will actually solve the user or customer's problem. Now here again, something that you'd need to go to um, Copeland on for more uh, details, some more references, but he's saying that uh, um, the research that he's seen um, does not support any improvements in coupling and cohesion or reduce bug density in the code that's produced. Um, so, you know, again, his, in his um, articles too, you can find some references to these, but I'm sure he'd be happy to provide you with uh, more references. So he sees it as an expensive technique uh, with limited benefit. Okay. Um, so uh, to conclude here, sorry, I'm just having to screw around with a Citrix interface a little bit. So as we saw at TDD, there's this sort of alphabet soup of stuff that happens out there with the 
ATDD, BDD, SBE, you know, and this is likely just to get um, even more complicated. Rob, Rob Sabarin uh, refers to all the DDs. Uh, <laughs> there's certainly a lot of DDs in Agile. I mean, maybe we should come up with a few more um, requirements-driven development, uh, you know, RDD. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it is one of the things out there. Hopefully now you've got a better understanding of what, what is meant by those and how they're different. Um, now, of course, you know, what one person means by TDD is not necessarily the same thing as somebody else means by TDD. And, you know, the, the Becks and Fowlers and Martins of the world can jump up and down and, and say, you know, this is what TDD means. But, I mean, you know, words are just words and people are free to use them to however they want. So, you know, be careful when you're talking to somebody. If they say their their organization uses TDD, don't assume that, that you know um, what exactly that means. You might ask them to describe that in a little more detail. Um, and remember, just because the word test is in TDD doesn't mean it's actually testing. Um, if it's done by the typical developer who's got limited knowledge of test design techniques and um, is entirely relying on their own concepts about what how the module should be built as a way of creating the tests and it's really not it really not tests um, now if you are able to um, uh, if you have the skills <clears throat> uh, I would can uh, say if your organization is doing TDD jump in there and help um, you could certainly improve the defect detection effectiveness of the, the uh, tests um, get a better idea of what's being tested in the unit test so that you know what you can what you should do in your system tests. Um, it really wouldn't take long for somebody even with with no programming experience to get to the point they had basic competence um, and could could participate effectively in this process. So if you're listening to this and going, oh, you know, he's going to be talking about more technically skilled people than me. Well, no, not necessarily. Don't put yourself down. Um, and again, you know, when uh, when you hear people talking about TDD, especially if they're making um, big claims for it, you know, bring your bring your 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 you know industrial sized bag of salt uh, to to go with that. There is certainly plenty of controversy, plenty of uh, debate about what. Um, TDD can actually do for you and what it's what it is doing what it isn't doing um, you know I don't think there's any value necessarily in getting into this into an argument with somebody if there's developers in your organization that are strong TDD partisans I, I don't see any profit in it for you to go and you know uh, uh, tilt the windmill as it were and and go hey you know I just listened to this webcast by this guy Rex Black and he says that you guys are you know you TDD guys are full of crap uh, you know, I think there's just no point in stirring up that kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, hornet's nest. Uh, as I said before, there's a lot of dogma here and a lot of sort of religious fervor. Um, and it's, it's on the development side. If you're a tester, you know, you should just watch it with an amused smile and, and stay out of it. But just, you know, the reason I bring it up is so that you... Um, are are sort of immunized against some of the uh, uh, you know magical qualities that are claimed for this. Just because there's TDD doesn't mean you should let down your guard. 
That said, now I don't want to come across as completely skeptical here. I mean, uh, Copleen is is very skeptical about it, and I published his articles on my website because I thought that it was useful to have another side of the debate. Um, I don't. I think that there is value in automated unit tests, and would want to see those present. Um, you know, if the way in which those are produced is TDD, and if it takes a certain amount of, of religious fervor, if you will, um, which you know is often accompanied by feelings of guilt when one does not live up to the uh, the the high standard put forward by the grand uh, the high priests of the uh, of the religion. You know, if that's if that's what's necessary to get developers to be very very scrupulous about creating automated unit tests, then you know I'm okay with that. All right, um, so we'll go ahead and put the uh, advertisement up here while I go through the questions, Q&A. Um, it seems I've already generated a fair number. Uh, Stefano says, I heard also developers telling that it is cool, but it takes too long to write code using TDD. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually heard that myself from, from one or two developers or they've said, you know, I like the idea, but it really slows me down. Now, the, the boosters of it would say, well, no, you, you know, because it's, it's, it seems that way, but what's actually happening since it's clarifying your thinking and shortening the debugging period is that it should go faster once you've learned how to do it. Again, I, you know, I don't know. I have done it um, a couple times myself in the in a classroom setting. You know, teaching people TDD techniques um, as part of a larger course, and uh, I did find that it slowed my programming down quite a bit. But that that could very well just be because you know I hadn't practiced it. I think if you got good at it, maybe it wouldn't. But uh, certainly that's out there. I guess you know you can't can't really argue with someone's experience if if there are developers out there that are that are good developers and they're very efficient developers and they've tried TDD and they find that it really slows them down then that's you know that's what's true for them can't argue that now bill sent me this link bill thank you for this but i'm not really sure what this link is supposed to do uh, archive.vector.org.uk/art one zero five zero one one two zero. I don't. I don't know what that is, Bill. Maybe you can pass along a little more information. I might be able to send that out to people. Let's see. So Emit uh, says, as for TDD as an aid to clarification, you said you don't see how it does that. I've heard developers referring to that as a way to see things such as. I'm going to need some API call to do that or reveal some interactions between parts. Getting to know this sort of thing before writing code seems to me like a good start of understanding how things work. Um, okay, well, if that's the case, I mean, I think what you're referring to is the part of the procedure, the part of TDD that involves writing out the procedure first. Um, which okay, that I can see how that could clarify thinking because you you thought through the procedure and and written it down, um, but you know that's 
I mean, to me, that's not that you could you could do that. You could think through that procedure, write it down, and then proceed to write the code and create the unit tests afterwards. So, to me, it's like um, you know the part that's that's clarifying there is is not really what's essential TDD, I guess. But I, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm missing something. Uh, notice that that is the one of the parts that Copeland objects to. Um, you know, as as procedural design thinking, so that's that's kind of an interesting debate. Um, again, probably more a developer's inside debate um, than anything else. Um, let's see. Lena says our developers has our developers have started doing unit testing, and it has helped prevent the smoke bugs. Um, a smoke bug, I assume, referring to. Uh, bugs that would be found during a smoke test that would render the system untestable. Um, also, she continues, our test department sends the dev department our test cases to review before they code. Ah, I, yeah, I definitely like that. And I definitely agree that the automated unit tests have the ability to uh, prevent the delivery of software so bad it's, you know, completely untestable. Uh, and as I said before, if TDD is the the religion that people have to get um, in order for them to scrupulously create and and deliver automated unit tests? Then uh, you know I'm I'm happy with them getting that religion. Um, though I don't I don't necessarily have to believe in it myself. Um, Okay, Amit says, as for TDD driving bottom-up design, I've encountered the idea of outside in TDD. I heard it referenced as the London School style. Uh, does this type of TDD address the concern uh, perspective? And then Amit includes a YouTube video. Um, a link to a YouTube video. I, I don't know. You'd have to really talk to... Uh, um, you, you'd have to talk to uh, uh, Copeline about this. Um, and I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to try to copy this this link here. I mean, and send this out to everybody. Uh, hmm. Okay. Well. Shoot. Darn it. Oh, oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah, here, I will, I mean, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, send your comment and the link out to everyone here. I just did that. So for those of you who want to go look look at this YouTube video later, you've, you've now got the link. Uh, yeah, as I said, I don't really know. Um, and this is, you know, this is a really more of a uh, deal with Copeline. Um uh, and his his concern. So I would I would suggest if you're curious, um, you know, get in touch with him. Ask him what his thoughts are on that. Um, whether that is one of his central critiques of TDD, or whether that's more of a uh, uh, collateral damage, as it were, I don't really know. I haven't really talked to Jim about this, like where they stand in, in order of priority for him. 
Uh, Stefano says, this webinar reinforced my opinion on TDD. Huge effort, easy to do it wrong, low benefit. Still many see it as the magic that will improve code quality and push for it, most probably because it is sold together with Agile as the way to do uh, better development. Um, yeah, I, you know, um, I think, so, uh, you know, I want to be clear here. I am not, I am a huge fan of, of developers creating automated unit tests and including those automated unit tests in the continuous integration framework. Um, that's different. My, my position is different than Jim Copeland's position. He does not believe that there's a whole lot of value in that. I do believe there's value in automated unit tests. I grew up as a programmer creating unit tests, though we didn't call it TDD, and you didn't write the tests first, you wrote the tests afterwards, but when I was always of the opinion that you code a bit, you know, code a little bit, test a little bit, code a little bit, test a little bit, uh, which is sort of the same the same basic idea of what's happening here, just the, the, the tests are coming first. Uh, but I think if you, if you adopt this whole scale, um, it could very well be a pretty big uh, overhead um, and the thing I worry about with that, I guess, more than anything else is uh, uh, blowback uh, in the sense that if organizations try TDD and it doesn't work, um, they see it as expensive, a lot of overhead, not a lot of value, et cetera, you know, oftentimes what happens after these, these fad bubbles burst is sort of an overreaction in the other direction. And it might lead to, you know, people deciding, oh, well, we don't need to do, you know, unit tests at all. All unit testing is a complete, you know, waste of time. And then, you know, you lose out on the scenario that Lena was describing, which is that the, the quality of the code that's being delivered does improve um, when there are unit tests, regardless of how those are created. So hopefully that yeah, backlash um, effect will not be as pronounced here in organizations kind of decide, well, you know, TDD as um, strictly described by sort of the, the high priests, uh, you know, it doesn't work, but, you know, it does, it is still valuable to have unit automated unit tests and to use code coverage techniques to make sure that those automated unit tests cover what they need to cover, et cetera. Um, but I certainly agree with you, Stefano, in that there is a, um, an, an endless quest for some sort of magic bullet um, magic dust that is going to uh, solve software quality problems and um, you know to the extent that TDD is seen as that that is of course not not helpful um, Gary uh, asking good to hear from you Gary uh, glad you could make this uh, is uh, are Jim Copeland's thoughts confirmed with some statistical data or metrics? Uh, again, I think you'd have to ask him. Um, I know he did reference some some empirical studies that show that the um, that Beck's claims of improved code quality and reduced bugs is are not supported by empirical evidence. Um, but you know, you need to go um, go to go to directly to the source. Notice that some of the things that he's saying are really um, uh, qualitative critiques, too, um, not necessarily connected to code quality, like the issue of, you know, top-down um, 
versus bottom-up design and whether the design technique is appropriate. Um, I mean, that's just a, you know, that's a, that's a whole separate question, which is, you know, basically, does TDD result in writing code that's less object-oriented and more procedural? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a stylistic question, right? So, but again, I'd, I'd say go to him, go, go directly to Jim and see what, what he has to say. Uh, let's see, Amit says, a question, if TDD is a development technique, why invest so much time in stating it isn't testing? It doesn't claim to be proper testing. Well, um, <laughs> for one thing, it's got the word test in it. So the people who chose to name it that really are the ones that you might want to direct this question to, Amit. Why did you choose to put the word test in a technique that is not necessarily going to be testing at all um, and is not even going to be built using um, basic principles of testing. And, and then the other part of that is, you know, why the fantastical claims of 100% defect detection effectiveness, at least against regression bugs. And if you're claiming that, well, you're sort of claiming that it is a kind of a test, um, I would say to the people who make such claims, um, and and a rather magical kind of test indeed, because it has a power to f to find 100% of the bugs, which no other test in history has ever been able to do. So, you know, again, I think I mean your question really would be better uh, addressed to Fowler, Martin, and Beck. You know, who again, you know, these are the guys who who named it test driven development and have been promoting it under that name rather than, um, you know, stepping back and going, well, you know, it, it really should be called EDS, exec Executable Design Specifications, um, rather than TDD. Let's see, Stefano says, I saw skilled, develop skilled teams of developers doing TDD right and get benefit from it. But as they are skilled, they already produce good code before introducing TDD, so they maybe didn't need it at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you'd have to ask the developers whether, you know, they felt like it was giving them benefit. Again, you know, this is one of these things of, you know, you can't really argue with someone's experience report, right? I mean, if, it, if what their experience is is what their experience is. If, it, if they got value from it, then, you know, good for them. As I said, if, and if this is the, if, if getting this, this TDD religion is the, the way in which developers become convinced that they absolutely have to write automated unit tests, then, um, you know, I, I, again, I see that as a small price to pay, though I'm not joining the religion or participating in it. I'm just pointing out that it, <laughs> that it helps. Um, let's see, Mary says, does unit testing in general and TDD in particular, create a large code maintenance technical debt. Hmm. Well, uh, that's a that's a very interesting observation, Mary. Um, I guess you could argue that it does, in the sense that it makes uh, it makes changing the code potentially more expensive. Now, the boosters of 
TDD, Beck, Fowler, Martin, etc., would say, well, no, it actually makes the changing of the code less expensive because you go, you you know, it 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 lessens, the, it reduces the regression risk associated with changing the code because your your tests are a way of of uh, you know helping to prevent these kinds of problems from getting past you. Um, but I mean, yeah, certainly, just as a, from a common sense point of view, if if you're now basically, let, let's say that the code, just setting aside, you know, Copeland's claim that the code can be, the, the test code can be as big as the, the production code. Let's say it's a 50% overhead. Well, yeah, I mean, now, now you're basically saying that there's this additional code, which is, is not shippable code. Um, and, you know, um, I say that, you know, that the, the best measure of, of progress is running software, but that's running software that would be delivered to the customer, right? This is, um, you know, this is just, it's an overhead, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would seem that, that uh, you know, just by, by sort of common sense analysis that uh, it would indeed uh, tend to slow things down and act as a impediment to um, making change to the code, which is of course ironic, given that um, the whole the 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 veritable mantra of uh, extreme programming from which TDD came is embrace change. So um, the irony is not lost on me anyway. Uh, let's see. John says, "Thanks, Rex. Will you let me know if there's a recording uh, available of this? Watching it now and enjoying the great information you're presenting." Well, thank you for the kind words, John. Uh, yes, um, the um, uh, webinars are all recorded, and they are posted on our website generally within about a week uh, or less. Um, they are on the digital library, so what you do is you go to the, the website, you go to the Resources tab, and then from there you navigate to the uh, digital library, and you'll find the, the uh, MP4. Uh, posted there. There's also an audio recording, um, and since this is, <clears throat> excuse me, really a um, more of a of a talk than a uh, audio visual presentation. In other words, the slide the slide content, you know, you don't necessarily have to look at it while you're listening to me. So this is one of those ones where if you want to download the MP3, the just pure audio, you can do that. We've got an RSS feed on our website, and it's also published on uh, iTunes uh, so you can you can uh, listen that way uh, oh so Bill Bill regarding his URL he says I sent links to an APL test tool available in the UK you implied that test tools for APL you called it bizarre <laughs> not exist uh, the proven wrong um, Okay, so uh, <laughs> um, I, I appear to have offended you, Bill, in my comments about APL. I guess what I meant was what's uh, maybe unusual um, or seldom used would be uh, a better a better word. I think we, we we can all agree that there's not a whole lot of APL development going on. Uh, for those of you who have no idea what Bill and I are talking about here, 
there is a programming language called APL, which I'm not making this up, stands for a programming language. Uh, <laughs> it's a, developed by IBM. Uh, it's a very powerful uh, language for doing various kinds of mathematical work, um, but it, it really, I, I think it, it's, it's like fourth in the sense of um, it, it requires you to sort of bend your brain in very interesting ways in order to be able to think like it wants you to think to express yourself in APL. Anyway, um, yeah, that's it. I guess, though, Bill, you just reinforced my point even further, the point that I was trying to make, which is that regardless of the, of the programming language you're using, it's almost certainly the case that there are going to be some uh, unit testing tools available for you to, to help. So if you hear developers in your organization saying, well, we'd love to do TDD, but we can't because, you know, we're in this obscure language and there's no such thing as a framework for it, then, you know, I'd say, Spend five minutes on the web and you'll probably find it. <laughs> uh, let's see, Gary says, I have seen doing ATDD and then TDD successfully. Uh, which, uh, which, it, which is enforcing top-down construction? What do you think? Um, I'm not exactly clear, Gary, on the question here. If you're, I mean, for so the top-down design issue, top-down versus bottom-up. I mean, his uh, Jim Copeland's critique here is on the design thinking that's driven by TDD. Um, ATDD, since it's talking about behavior, is not going to to lead to any particular kind of uh, of design or implementation decisions. It doesn't. You, you don't care. Um, you're just saying under you know these set of inputs I should see this set of outputs this this behaviors so I would think ATDD is neutral with respect to design and implementation and TDD has the potential to influence it just because you know it's it is it it is basically a way of thinking about design Uh, Bill says, no offense, I was an old APL hacker decades ago doing mathematical physics programming. Haven't used it since. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm sure for mathematical physics programming, it was probably really great at that. Um, and uh, once once you've wrapped your head around how how you how APL wants you to express your ideas, um, it, it's it's probably you know really powerful. Um, I, I can't. Can't imagine um, trying to build a video game with it, but uh, <laughs> you know, mathematical stuff, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, by the way, so for those of you, um, uh, uh, those of you who are curious about what this whole discussion between Bill and I has been about, I'll I'll send you that link, and you can take a look at it. I got a comment from John here. Thanks, Rex, regarding the posting of the um, recorded webinar. Uh, you're quite welcome. There's all they're all out there. All God, however many there are. We've been doing this for over five years now, um, and uh, so you know, once a month. Uh, so there's you know, sixty, sixty plus uh, recorded webinars out there that you, you can you can always listen to, and of course they're. They're all free. Um, 
Now we are we are launching our new website, which is going to be mobile friendly and um, have an improved look and feel. It might kind of uh, if you're used to our existing site as clunky as it is, um, you know, you, you, if you've sort of mastered it, it might take you a few days to figure out where everything is, and I'm going to have to figure out where everything is too, but hopefully it'll be easier to find these recorded webinars. Okay, well, um, good, uh, good questions from uh, the audience as always. Uh, I'm glad to see the usual regulars here. Uh, to close this session, a little bit more about the resources available. Um, these free webinars run once a month uh, on our website, uh, uh, rbcs-us.com. You'll be able to find the latest listing. Uh, we have the listings all the way through the end of this year. If you'd like a special webinar presentation for your company only, uh, this webinar or on any other topic related to software testing, uh, send an email to info at rbcs-us.com or contact us via our website. If you don't already receive our regular free newsletter, sign up at rbcs-us.com. This will get you valuable discounts on consulting and training services. Some of those discounts can be as big as like 20%, so it's no, nothing to sneeze at. You also get a regular newsletter that includes a featured article on software testing and quality and news about what RBCS and its partners are doing lately. Uh, we are on Twitter, as you can see here, um, and on Facebook, as you can also see here. RBCS is the professional Twitter, the company Twitter, and uh, the Like a Test Dog is uh, my personal account. Um, so just keep that in mind. Non certain non-test related things uh, end up on the Like a Test Dog, which you might like or you might not like. Um, but the RBCS page is all focused on stuff related to what we're doing and testing. Uh, do remember to check your email over the next couple days because you could be the lucky winner of a free e-learning course from us. Uh, you were registered for the random drawing simply by attending this free event. Um, as I said, Digital Library has recordings of these webinars. There are also uh, probably a dozen or so uh, videos on topics like risk-based testing. So um, you know, check those out. Again, all all this stuff free. We have our podcasts, which are the audio versions of the recorded webinars. Um, and uh, we also have the uh, RBCS channel on YouTube, um, where you can see uh, videos and recorded webinars there as well. Uh, we offer these free resources as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company. Concludes the webinar. Thanks for joining us today. See you next time around.